what is up everybody today as i've been trying to formulate my top 10 or 15 movies of the year um i found myself realizing especially since oscar weekend is quite soon actually i believe next weekend um that there were a lot of movies that flew under the radar were underappreciated uh for this year that uh, I was a fan of and in being a fan of a lot of those underappreciated movies of the year uh I figured I would share with you some of my highest rated on my IMDb list um movies that I think if you haven't seen you should watch and if they're flying under your radar you should definitely go see them if you haven't heard of them rent them find them in some sort of way shape or form keep them in your mind for when they have home video releases you know what I mean and I'm just going to go through them and give you guys some like you know give you guys my thoughts on some of these movies now the Oscars obviously this year it was a tough year because there were so many things that were nominated. There were so many good movies, especially from September onward, that it was extremely hard um, for really a lot of things to get nominated that maybe deserve to be nominated. Yeah, there are some oversights, and I'll talk about those when I uh, get to some of the movies on this list. But overall, I think for the most part, they did some of the best of, with what they could do. Now, I'm going to go chronologically from the beginning of 2019 into um, the end of 2019, essentially. So I'm going to try and start from the very start of 2019 and then go from there in terms of what I thought was underrated, underappreciated uh, by people. Now, so let's do it. First on the list, The Nightingale. Um... This movie I watched based on recommendation uh, from a video I watched that Chris Stuckman, great film critic Chris Stuckman, did. Um, that um, he talked, to, he reviewed the movie because uh, directed by Jennifer Kent, and she directed The Babadook, a movie I still have yet to see, um, but really want to see now, especially after watching this movie. And let me read you the quick IMDb synopsis. Set in 1825, Claire, a young Irish convict woman, chases a British officer through the rugged Tasmanian wilderness, bent on revenge for a terrible act of violence he committed against her family. On the way, she enlists the services of an aboriginal tracker named Billy, who is also marked by trauma from his own violence-filled past. This movie, quite, quite, quite honestly, blew me away. Um, I didn't know what to expect. Really, I knew it was brutal. Apparently, from what everybody had said, it was in like four by. It was in like a square aspect ratio, which I actually am starting to fall in love with. Really, I'm starting. I'm starting to fall in love with taller aspect ratios, and I'm may probably going to incorporate it in some of my work, even because I'm just fascinated with it. Honestly, uh, when I look at it, and you just it does really good thing for framing close ups. It's awesome, but anyway. You're watching this movie and you're watching this girl who gets who uh, the, the brutality that is unleashed upon her uh, changes her forever. And you really feel for her when she's walking, when she's going through this wilderness, trying to find these people. And 
find trying to find these awful British soldiers who, when you're watching, you're like, you want to just you want to murder them yourselves while you're watching the movie. Um, but really, I think this movie is very smartly written. I think uh, I've only ever talked to one other real life person about it, and they were not super fond of this movie. I found this movie really strong in terms of its technical aspects. I think it's got beautiful cinematography. I think it's got great sound design to a degree that is absolutely gut-wrenching and horrifying at points. Um, And it's got a beautiful color palette that's very gray. Now, you're going to be like, a beautiful color palette that's very gray. Yeah, this one is some of the most beautiful pseudo-black-and-white cinematography I've ever seen. It's incredible. And the cinematography just capitalizes on that. It's almost like it feels like a very brutal Bergman and Tarkovsky movie, if you know what I'm talking about. It's just I I found it I found it brilliant, uh, and I found the performances. Oh my gosh, Aisling Franchosi, she gives one of the best female performances I've seen all year. Honestly, I loved every single minute she was on screen, and she really sells like the anger and the deep pain that um, that she's supposed to like have uh, when you're watching this movie and watching her character. Also. By Kali Ganambar, he he plays the Aboriginal tracker. Amazing performance as well. There's a really great scene in this movie. This is like the one scene I'll tell you guys about. Where they're both arguing and um, Billy, who's the Aboriginal tracker, is upset with, um, with Claire. And they're sitting in a campfire and he's just kind of cursing out white people and white colonialism and stuff like that. And he's like, all you British people are the same. She's like, I'm not British. And he's like, yes, you are. You're all the same. And then she's like, I'm Irish. And then he's like, no. And then she's like, I'm Irish. And then she starts yelling at him in Irish. And it was, and you can see his face change. And like, you watch him realize, like, like, the colonialism that he is upset with doesn't only just affect him because he's black. It affects other people as well, and they also just happen to be white, which are the Irish. Because, obviously, um, Britain has a long uh, history with, um, with uh, like, brutalizing the Irish, right? So, when you're watching that moment and you, and you feel like that's, like... A connection that kind of gets built between those two characters that you get to witness. And it's just beautiful. And I thought this movie was a great deal with trauma and PTSD. Because while it is, in a sense, a revenge tale, it's focusing... It's more of a character study by way of a revenge tale, if that makes sense. So, The Nightingale. I gave that a 9 out of 10 uh, this year. I thought it was great. Alright. So, this my thing will open up. Okay. Alita Battle Angel. Now, a lot of people are going to be like, bro, what are you even talking about? I'm shutting off this podcast right now. Let me tell you this. Alita Battle Angel is not a perfect movie. It's not. It just isn't. But Alita Battle Angel has something that most blockbusters these days cannot pull off. And that is that it is fun and it understands the world it lives in. That's it. It's good. Robert Rodriguez directs it beautifully. Amazing cinematography. I got to see the I got the pleasure of seeing this in IMAX. I went with my father. 
And we were just like, wow, that was like a really stunning experience. There was a lot of just great IMAX cinematography in this movie that was just absolutely like just candy for your eyes. Honestly, I, I really found it amazing. And I believe I saw it in 3D too. That, that made it even better. It was just really fun. Also, Rose Salazar, Christoph Waltz, and Jennifer Connelly and Mahershala Ali are on this movie. And all give great performances, I might add. And James Cameron wrote the screenplay with Laida Caligridis. Anyway, this movie is really fun. It's got amazing action. Let me tell you guys that. This is going to be kind of a short review. It's got amazing action. And I think anybody who's looking for... I'm a person who I get excited when I see American adaptations of anime stuff, right? I'm a big fan of Ghost in the Shell, Rupert Sanders' Ghost in the Shell. I think that movie's an underrated gem. Like, I think that that's a legit... A lot of people will be like, oh, like, you know, it's fun, but it's not, like, that good. I think that movie is legitimately good and is, like, better and smarter than a lot... than a lot of the uh, blockbusters that we get today. I think that movie reached for something that most... Even normal mainstream non-blockbuster movies can't reach. And ultimately, I think it was better for it. And I think that movie is really great. I think this movie, while it doesn't reach the same kind of intellectual and emotional heights and depths as I think Ghost in the Shell does, I think Alita Battle Angel knows it wants to be fun. And it brings that really well. And at the same time, it's able to evoke some really great emotional moments in it. It makes a lot of, like, emotional sense in terms of when you're watching it. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just a really fun movie. Like, sometimes you just, like, want a fun movie. Alita Battle Angel is a fun movie. I think my, my only real issue with it, besides, like, um, some dialogue that I thought was like, oh, that's a little simplistic, um is that there's a time jump in this movie that I really think that if this movie was maybe like 10 or 12 minutes longer, because I think it's paced really well, honestly. At least when I saw it in the theater, I don't remember being bored. Maybe, if so, a little bit like in the bridge between the second and the third act, but not really that much. But it could have been longer in exploring what happened in that time jump, or ultimately... Because the, this movie is trying to carry so much, because I know when they were making this movie, they were like, this may not get a sequel, so we're going to try and do as much as possible. Honestly, it could have used like a second and third, a second movie, even. Maybe even a third movie. It could have been a great trilogy of movies, I think. But I think for having one movie, I think it's great. I think you should watch it. I gave it a 7 out of 10 this year. All right. Um, next, we have. Oh, shoot, where is it? Oh, High Life, Claire Denis' High Life, A24 movie, a big A24 fan. Robert Pattinson, Juliette Binochet, Andre Benjamin, Mia Goth, uh, Claire Denis directing and written by Claire Denis, Jean-Paul Frago, Jeff Cox, and then Andrew Litvak did some additional writing. Nick Laird did some additional writing. Uh, I'm a a fan of Robert Pattinson, and I like seeing Robert Pattinson do, uh, this, all this new weird stuff that he's been doing lately, and he's had a really good year this year, I'd say. 
And this movie is no exception to the awesomeness that is Robert Pattinson's acting. One of the reasons I like about him in this movie, and I think just his acting in general, is that it's very understated for the most part. Anybody who's seen some Robert Pattinson stuff, I think knows that's how he can really pull off the like quietness, right? And basically this movie, he's a father in a space prison where essentially Earth decided to send its prisoners into space to like for science to get, basically gather data uh like scientific data to help them back on earth so they put them to use and you're watching kind of just this person exist inside as a space prison realizing what it is and like you're watching them kind of like all come to grips with like the fact that they're not coming back and on top of like them not coming back just watching like the kind of like solitary insanity and frustration that builds up just from being in a floating prison you can't see the sun you can't see the moon you're just floating out there in space and you all have a job and it's a very unconventional sci-fi film but it's also very beautiful some of the opening shots of this movie the opening shots there's like a very green opening and i was like blown away by how saturated and beautiful it looked and the rest of the movie looks really good also this movie has really epic space stuff like cosmic special effects that i thought were absolutely brilliant oh and i was watching them i was just like wow that is like stunning by way of films like interstellar level stunning um it's great it's got great performances it's a little slow um, I'll be just right up front with that. But I think if you're willing to stick with it, it's it's a rewarding experience. Um, and it's directed by Claire Denis, who I've never seen a movie of hers before this. I only watched this movie because um, I'd listened to a master class of hers, and I was just blown away. And this movie's great. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Great movie. High Life. All right, this one's going to be a little controversial. Under the Silver Lake uh, by David Robert Mitchell, starring Andrew Garfield, Riley Keough, uh, and Topher Grace, and Callie Hernandez as the top build cast. Uh, this is the very controversial David Robert Mitchell follow-up to It Follows. Uh, and instead of being a horror movie, uh, it's about a guy named Sam who's kind of a lush, and he's poor, and he watches his neighbors naked (laughs) weird and one day one of his hot neighbors goes missing and he goes on like a weird crazy neo-noir existential um uh trope filled um just weird conspiracy laden uh um journey through california uh, in like LA trying to find what happened to her and he comes across a really interesting cast of characters and this movie is just weird and odd in all the ways that I find satisfying um, and I'm a fan of movies like this now here's the thing part of the reason why I'm interested in this movie is that it remi- it's like a modern day version to me of um Inherent Vice, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I adore 
uh, to the end of the earth. The more I watch that movie, the more I fall in love with it. Um, and watching this movie, it's just weird. It's it's nice because it all it evokes a lot of the feelings of like those old, uh, like Chinatown esque type of uh, mood, right? But it's got all this weird stuff in it, just like Chinatown does, just like how Inherent Vice does, right? And you're, like, figuring out weird stuff. There's this weird scene where, like, he meets a guy playing a piano who I won't spoil to you exactly what his purpose in the movie is. But it's a scene that, like, you watch and, like, in watching the movie. It's one of the weirdest things ever, but it's also, like, exactly in line with the movie that you're watching. And that's part of the thing. This movie also has tons of Easter eggs and hidden symbolism and... It's really brilliant in terms of how densely packed it is as an ex- as a as a as a as a movie that almost makes you become a little bit of an investigator yourself trying to decode what's in the movie. I think Andrew Garfield gives a really great performance too in the lead role. Uh, and I'm not even that big of an Andrew Garfield fan. I actually really, really enjoyed his performance in watching him in this movie. And it's just I don't know. It's like a nice tribute to the 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 the, the early neo noirs and the noirs, and it's a nice updated, silly, um, sometimes adventure uh, that has lots of surprises and twists and turns, uh, and I think it's very beautiful and it's very well directed, uh, and it's really funny at times. And it's mega weird. So know yourself. Know that going into this movie, it's weird. Like girls barking, dogs, girls speaking, but they're barking like dogs inside a girl's bathroom yelling at a dude on the floor. Weird. Like it's weird. Um, So just be aware of that. Uh... But I think it's really good, and I think if you're down to, like, if you're willing to sit through it, I mean, you might like it, you might not like it. I really enjoyed it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. All right. So, the next movie, Booksmart. Now, this is a movie that I was very, very surprised. Received no Oscar anything. Um, This movie, obviously directed by Olivia Wilde. That was one of the big things. Uh, and had four writers, um, Emily Halpern, Sarah Haskins, Susanna Fogel, and Katie Silberman. Um, and it stars Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein, who is Jonah Hill's sister. And it follows two girls who are about to graduate high school And they've studied their butts off to get into these Ivy League schools. But then they realize that all the kids that they thought were just the party kids and whatever uh, also got into the same Ivy League high schools and also got to have fun. So on their kind of last day before graduation, they want to have a cool, amazing, fun time uh, and just be bad for once uh, so they can get some of that in before they settle down for the long college, uh, studying spree, essentially. And I found this movie really charming. Now, it's obviously going to be compared a lot to movies like Superbad, and I think that's a valid comparison. The thing is, I think this movie is a lot smarter and a lot 
better than Superbad is. Now, I think that's kind of a controversial opinion, uh, but I thought this movie was actually really fun. Uh, I really loved Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein in the leading roles. I thought their chemistry on screen was really amazing, actually. Um, I, I don't I don't think I've ever fallen in love with a friend-buddy team in a while on film, and I just absolutely fell in love with them as people, as characters, and that's another thing. This movie likes to really treat every character not like there's some trope or there's some thing to be like 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 they're not like some side of one-sided one one type one note character thing that's you're supposed to feel exactly this way or exactly this way about them right it treats all of the characters with respect and niceness um weirdly enough uh for a teen movie that likes to pull the stereotypes right this movie has this movie kind of break is a breaking down of a lot of those stereotypes and rather successfully in a way that actually makes you understand and kind of like it feels like all of these um relationships between these characters because you're jumping in at the very end of their high school journey they've gone to school with these people for three years right for four years so when you're watching it, you're jumping in at the end of their journey, but all of the relationships between these characters feel absolutely lived in, in a way that a lot of movies can't pull off. And I thought that that was really great. And Olivia Wilde directs this movie really well. And there's this one movie, there's this one scene, it's like a vis- it's a gag, there's this one like gag scene uh, that many of you may have heard of if you haven't watched this movie, involving Barbie dolls, and it's absolutely drop dead hilarious and i was like i was dying in the theater uh watching it but this movie didn't even make that much money only made like 24 million dollars at a six million dollar budget now i guess that's more than three times oh that's about that's about four times the 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 budget right but that um that um that's still not a lot 24 million dollars that's still not a lot of money for a movie to make and i think this movie is considerably well done so i i figured that movie would at least get like a best writing nomination or something i thought i was at least gonna see that but it didn't oh well but i gave that a nine out of ten so book smart go watch that if you haven't seen it all right the last black man in san francisco Another movie with some square, uh, a little bit taller of an aspect ratio. Not too tall, just a little bit tall. Um, stars a young man, uh, Jimmy Fails, who basically believes that his grandfather has built this house in San Francisco, and there's a white family living in it. And once that white family eventually has to move out for certain reasons, he and his friend, played by Jonathan Majors, uh, decide they kind of like want to commandeer the house for a little bit and Jimmy is kind of really falling in love with all the um, memories and the nostalgia of believing in the story that his grandfather had built this house and this movie is charming and fun and a lot of things that just make you feel really good when you're watching it Jill Talbot directed and wrote the story along with Jimmy Fails and Robert Richard. And there is a a political stuff aside, right? This movie is at the heart of it, a movie about a, a person who is who feels as if he has been exiled from like his kingdom and is on his way back. 
right? And this is his redemption story on his way back to his home. And this movie does a really, really good job at like playing that up and even in the score. And that kind of was talked about in the, there's a, some sort of video I watched about it. And they talked about how the score was supposed to kind of feel like a prince exiled from his kingdom. And that really comes across in this movie. Um, Jimmy Fails is quite undoubtedly this sort of prince-like figure who is trying to, like a prodigal son-like figure in a way, trying to earn his way back uh, to a place that makes him feel comfortable. And I just thought it was really well directed. There is in the opening scene of this movie alone is incredible. And then what follows it is even more just uplifting and upbeat. And this movie, while it's upbeat, it's uplifting, it's unconventional at points. It's beautiful to watch. It also reaches emotional depths that most movies can't do. Um, And it's weird because this movie is quite literally a comedy at some points. Um... But it is all feeling a lot of this movie, and it comes across really well. There's just so much just great emotional weight that's presented in this movie that gets paid off really, really well. And I think this is one of the best movies of the year, and I gave it a 9 out of 10. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. All right, um, here we go. Midsommar. Uh, a lot of people probably saw this movie. Um, let me see what the gross was. Oh, yeah, it made like four times its budget at a $10 million budget. It made $42,000. $42 million. Not $42,000. Um, still not so, so, so much, but I. This is f- coming from Ari Aster, director and writer behind Hereditary, a movie I actually really, really love. Um,. And essentially follows Danny and Christian, a couple who go in an anthropological kind of study of this Swedish rural commune place uh, with with uh, Christian's friends. Danny just lost, um, gone through a recent tragedy and joins them in hopes that it can kind of get her mind off of it and also spend time with her boyfriend. And quickly realize that this relationship is failing because... Uh, um, they're both kind of like not really in a position where they kind of need to be in a relationship, but also Christian is like the worst person to ever be in a relationship and not even intentionally. So he's not like intentionally malicious. He's just like incompetent at being a good boyfriend. And so you're watching them kind of, you're watching that kind of unravel as they find themselves entangled in this weird world that um that is like scary and new and stuff like that and they're trying to like figure out what the heck is going on and these swedish weird people they're all got like these weird things going on and this movie i mean and they're like a cult and you're like what is happening why and then the the tension is getting racked up because things get increasingly weird uh this movie is directed brilliantly as always ari aster uh is just a he's what he has potential to be one of the masters of today i think i think in his first two films he's he's made two absolutely brilliant and mature movies um 
His directing is on point, honestly. And this movie is actually very beautiful to watch. The cinematography is absolutely amazing at points. And it evokes a lot of the elements of horror from like movies in the 70s. A lot of people compare it to The Wicker Man. I haven't seen that movie. Um, but Ari Aster really kills it. The performance is great. Florence Pugh, another person who had a great year this year, she gives an amazing performance in this movie. But a lot of what makes this movie good is its way is its ability to immerse you in its in 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 where you are. Right? There's a really amazing job at like the a very convincing production design and even very awesome subliminal. Um, um, just moments, right? Just subliminal messaging, not necessarily messaging in way of like consume or buy, you know, like, like it, like in a sort of John Carpenter, uh, they live way, but in a, in terms of like hiding stuff in the background that you may not notice, but add sort of an emotional undertone to the scenes that you're watching that I really, really love. And this movie is epically length at two hours and 27 minutes. And then there's a director's cut of almost two hours and 50 minutes, uh, almost a three hour version of this movie, which I haven't seen. I intend to see it, um, at some point. I thought this was great. I think it's only issue was a little bit of its pacing. Uh, if you're not prepared for like a very slow movie, I think when I went into the movie, I didn't realize how slow it was going to be. So that kind of hurt my in theater experience a little bit, but I think this movie is smart enough, smart enough. It's written well enough. It never really lost my interest. I just remember being like, okay, this is kind of crawling a little slow. Also the opening of this film is, is, is virtually perfect. Is virtually a perfect opening scene to this movie that almost feels like its own little short film. And it, it blew me away. And this movie is a 9 out of 10 for me in 2019. Honestly, really, really loved Midsommar. Uh, A24 actually really did a good job uh, with movies this year. Speaking of A24, we have another movie, The Farewell, uh, starring Aquafina and Shuzen Zhao. Um, Written and directed by Lulu Wang, and I'll read you the IMDb thing. A Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decides to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding together before she dies. This movie's great. Um, this movie's not only great, it feels... It's one of those movies that just makes you feel good at the end, but it doesn't compromise on the emotional weight of the story. Aquafina plays Billy, and she's a Chinese-American person that's very close to her grandmother who's dying. And a lot of this movie's writing does a really good job at making you not only feel like that relationship between her and her grandma is real, but you understand where Billy's coming from because she is upset at her family and the idea that they would hide something like that. So there's kind of like this whole background. There's kind of like a the con, there's a conflict between Billy and her feelings, but there's a conflict between Billy and her family because they're like, yo, if you spill this crap, they didn't even invite her to China because they were like, yo, you're going to be emotional and then the grandma's going to find out you're going to jack this all up, right? But also, the Billy just fighting like cultural norms essentially because she's not used to it. And Aquafina gives just a performance that I, I just fell in love with. I love Aquafina. I'm a really, really big fan of her. 
not like not in terms of like having seen and listened to all her music or anything like that but when i see her on screen when i see her personality represented in any sort of video or anything like that i really really just enjoy her as a performer and she gives a performance in this movie that honestly i was frankly um surprised that she was an oscar nominated for it because she does my god some of the some of the best acting work i've seen all year um but she's just able to bring this kind of like levity to scenes too and i think that's because of her background as a comedian as a as comedian right um she's able to 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 bring up these funny moments but when it comes to like these sad moments she can she can play it off really well and not only that i have to give a special shout out to Diana Lynn, oh my gosh, she plays Billy's mom. I fell in love with the scenes between her and her mother, with between Aquafina and Diana Lynn. Diana Lynn is also just an amazing performer, and I loved every second she was on the screen. And also, Lulu Wong just as a director. This movie's beautiful, and this movie's visual language emotionally makes sense, which is something that... um. I, I, I can only applaud as an aspiring filmmaker myself because I strive to be able to make a movie that connects on so many levels as this movie does. Uh, and even the score. I was listening, I've been listening to the score for like the past week because uh, I recently had rewatched it. Um, and I just, ugh. It's such a good movie. I'm surprised this movie wasn't nominated for Best Writing or and Best Actress and Best Picture of the Year even, uh, honestly. This is such an amazing movie, and I, I think a lot of people thought this one was going to be just in the bag in terms of uh, in the Oscars, and like it, it wasn't even recognized not once. A twenty four really got shut out. Very quickly, I want to mention this movie, The Souvenir. I gave it a nine out of ten, uh, and it's about a young film student uh, in the eighties. I'm just going to read you the IMDb thing. A young film student in the 80s becomes romantically involved with a complicated and untrustworthy man. Uh, This movie is a movie I have to watch again, but I would recommend you guys seeing it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's another great um, A24 film. I watched it. I gave it a 9 out of 10. It's kind of a hard movie to sit through if you're not ready for the kind of long haul-ish that it has. Um and it's also like a very somber movie. There's not a lot of humor in it per se. Uh, there is at points, and it's not like a completely humorous movie. It's just very somber. It's directed by Joanna Hogg, and it's complicated. And it's this is a movie where you're like you're watching this romance take place, but there's not a lot of highs or lows per se. In terms of, there's no like showiness to this movie, and I think part of the reason is I feel like I was maybe my expectations were tailored for a movie that was a little bit more showy than this movie is. Granted, I think you guys should watch it. Um, uh, who's in this movie that I can? My goodness, Honor Swinton Byrne, who's Tilda Swinton's daughter, is in it. Tilda Swinton is also in this movie, and then um, what's this guy's name? Uh, Tom Burke uh, is in this movie, and he actually gives a really great performance in this movie as the as the main uh, as the love interest for Honor Swinton Burns' character. Um, just just go watch it. Trust me. Just just go try it out. <laughs> okay. So 
Then, next on the list, The King by David Mitchod, written by Joel Edgerton and David Mitchod. Uh, Hal, a wayward prince and heir to the English throne, is crowned King Henry V after his tyrannical father dies. Now the young king must navigate palace politics, the war his father left behind, and the emotional strings of his past. Uh, This movie is awesome. Plain and simple, it's awesome. It's a period piece. King Henry V, uh, starring uh, freaking Timothy Chalamet, Ben Mendelsohn, Sean Harris, freaking Robert Pattinson is in this movie, and Joel Edgerton is in this movie. And let me tell you, all the performances, amazing, 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 amazing. They're so good. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, great, great actor. Uh, one of the best young talents working today. Incredible in this movie as King Henry. I didn't ever thought he could really pull off the darkness, moodiness like I get. Like, because I saw Call Me By Your Name. Like, he pulls off a lot of range of emotions in that movie, but he still feels like a naive young man, right? Because that's who he's playing. In this movie, he pulls off the brooding, like Batman level brooding in this movie. When he, it's like the weight, it's like you can. In his performance, you can feel the weight of the crown on his head. Ah, oh, it's so good. And Ben Mendelsohn, who's only in this movie for admittedly a short amount of time, gives a really good performance in that short amount of time he has. And then Sean Harris and um, Joel Edgerton, right, in, in, the, in the other roles. Just amazing watching them. I like Sean Harris. I like the Mission Impossible Fallout a lot. This movie, he does amazing work as well. And this movie also is beautiful. It feels like every single frame of this movie came out of, like, the Romantic period. Sometimes the Renaissance period. Sometimes the, uh... Oh, what what was what was the period... What was the artistic movement that Caravaggio uh, was making artwork in? Oh, my gosh. I did a whole thing on it, too. Oh, my goodness. Hold on. I'm going to look this up. I need to tell you because as an art student, it's honestly blowing my mind that I can't remember. Caravaggio. Baroque. Baroque. I did a whole freaking report on Baroque and I still can't remember what the heck it was called. Um, It's honestly just amazing. It's just such a beautiful movie and it's got one of the best medieval battle scenes of all time. That's it. One of the best medieval battle scenes of all time. It's, you can't even fight. You can't even argue that it's not. It's so good. Um, David Mitchell, honestly, this is a great big turnaround for him. I feel like this movie is really underappreciated. Now, I was, I was a fan of Animal Kingdom. I didn't, admittedly, I did not see The Rover. It's a movie I'm going to watch uh, actually pretty soon. Um, but I wasn't a fan of War Machine. I liked Animal Kingdom, and I did not. I was I was disappointed when War Machine came out. But this movie, honestly, I think he I think he killed it. I think he brought it back really strong. I, th- I don't think this movie is getting not only the critical reception it deserves, but a lot of people I don't think have necessarily seen it. Even fans of Timothy Chalamet, I don't think have necessarily seen it. It makes me also really want to watch the movie Outlaw King. I'm gonna have to watch that. Uh, it's got Chris Pine in it, and it's David McKenzie who directed Hell or High Water, a movie that I freaking love. So, yeah, 
The King, I gave it a 9 out of 10. I think this is an amazing, amazing period piece that is flying way under the radar. And it's on Netflix, so, you know, everybody knows somebody who's got Netflix. So watch that with them. All right, then we have The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. A movie that was only made 14 million dollars but is directed by robert eggers written by robert eggers and his brother max eggers and is the story according to imdb of two lighthouse keepers trying to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote mysterious new england island in the 1890s and i just use my pirate voice to <sighs> explain this movie uh stars robert pattinson willem dafoe and it is quite literally just a weird black and white, like, one three three aspect ratio tale of insanity uh, that I, oh, 1.19 to 1, I mean, in tale to insanity that I could not get enough of. The black and white cinematography is amazing. The sound design is assaulting. It's assaulting good um but it is assaulting and hard on your ears when you're listening to it because it 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 wants to evoke literally every single sound that's happening in the environment into an effect that plays up the mood of this movie brilliantly honestly and robert pattinson and willem defoe give some of the best performances they've ever given especially willem defoe who i was also surprised did not get oscar nominated uh for this movie i think the of all the a24 movies that came out this year the lighthouse only got one nomination was the only one with a nomination only got one nomination and it was best cinematography for jaron Blaschke. now like I said, the cinematography is amazing. It's very gothic. It's very in the it it it, it conjures the ideas of um oh what was that guy who made like Cthulhu and everything? Um uh the guy, you guys know it. HP Lovecraft, right? It it's it conjures up like the feelings and things of that and it's just gothic and weird and dark, but it's also not too, um, it doesn't take itself so seriously that you can't relate to it. Uh, it's not the movie that, that will take itself so serious. Like there are movies that have to take themselves really seriously. This movie does not take itself. This movie doesn't have to take itself seriously and it doesn't. Uh, it's, quite literally not above a fart joke sometimes and it's great and robert pattinson god bless this man because i'm falling in love with him every single time he has a performance in a movie and he just kills it and there's weird there's mermaids in this movie there's a seagull that that is that with one eye there's there's literally everything you could possibly want in this movie um it's just weird. It's got Willem Dafoe being weird. It's got um, Robert Pattinson being weird and doing things that, you know, you you only really do behind closed doors. And it's just awesome. It's just an awesome, f- weird movie that if you're 
person like me who likes films that take place in New England and you like history, I think you'll get a kick out of this movie and the time period that it's in and just the depths that it will go to talk about in a similar fashion as The Witch, melding the fairy tale with reality. Uh, Because in these times, the fairy tale and the reality were the same thing. So it's a great movie. Uh, Next, I got to give a shout out to Trey Edward Schultz's movie, Waves. Oh my gosh, Waves. Now, this movie admittedly was a hard first watch. Um, A a hard first watch in the theater. Because this movie, I'm going to warn you guys. I'm just going to tell you guys why this is a hard watch. Because I think it will better prepare you uh, when you're watching this movie. Is that this movie is split essentially into two halves. And the second half of this movie is a lot slower than the first half of this movie. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to spoil to you what happens in those two respective halves. But it was something I wish I kind of would have known. Because I wasn't prepared for how slow, how much of a change of pace the second half was from the first half. But I'll read you the IMDb non-spoiler plot synopsis traces the journey of a suburban family led by a well-intentioned but domineering father as they navigate love forgiveness and coming together in the aftermath of a loss and this movie is directed and written by trey edward schultz stars taylor russell kelvin harrison jr alexa demi who is in um that other amazing show euphoria uh sterling k brown and the mother who's I can't even freaking find her name in here. Anyway, there's a lady who plays a mom. I promise you this this family has a mother. They're not a motherless family. Um This movie was in watching this movie, I went and saw this with a friend. I felt like I was having an anxiety attack for about the first half of it. <laughs> It felt like a I was it felt like a knob was just constantly like the like 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 it felt like I was watching somebody like it was like a piece of fishing line getting slowly and slowly and slowly more tightened and you're just waiting it for it to snap in like catastrophic fashion uh for 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 like the first hour of this movie over an hour the first like hour and 15 minutes of this movie you're just wait Waiting for some sort of like, you're waiting for the release of just tension. It's being built and you're watching this family, right? Kind of go through all these things and with a main focus on the son of the, the, the children of the family, right? And you're watching and you're like, you're, you're, this movie does a really good job at making everything, at making the emotional moments matter because they've, essentially like earned earned their way to like these really emotional moments because they've never stopped putting pressure on these characters which uh, which I thought was actually which was I thought was really really well done and well written uh because I felt for these characters of what was going on with them because you're watching their journey obviously and a lot of movies you know, they'll pick, like, random stereotypical stuff that, like, oh, a family's going through this or whatever, right? This movie does a really good job at, like, picking things that matter, that, like, would really matter and would actually, like, 
come close to destroying some people and you're kind of watching what a lot of pressure will do to a person how different people sort of deal with that pressure and I thought this movie did a really great job at making um, its journey worth it in the end I believe uh, I gave that a 9 out of 10 Trey Edward Schultz's Waves just quick shout out to the report uh uh, it's about Daniel Day jo- J. Jones and his whole, um, uh, the story about him getting the, uh, the, um, the torture report about how the CIA and the, and the Department of Defense essentially was making torture, uh, uh, American policy in the Middle East and his story in terms of getting that story out there with, uh, Diane Feinstein. Directed by Scott Zim Burns, frequent collaborator with Steven Soderbergh. Uh, It's on Amazon Prime. Watch it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Stars Adam Driver, another person who had a great year this year. And uh, I think it was just great. I think it was just a great movie. Uh, And everybody should definitely go watch it. All right. And then, last but not least, we have Uncut Gems. Now, I saw... My first Safdie Brothers movie was Good Time. And I saw Good Time in theaters. Um, And that movie was ridiculous. (laughs) That was a ridiculously insane movie uh, to watch in the theaters with that amazing sound design and that incredible score. And just kind of being on like a ever propelling journey right and it kind of like was stressful when you're watching it because you're like oh my god so many things because you're you're it, it just it, it's overwhelming at times honestly between the blasting score people yelling at each other the sound design that movie's great uncut gems i think is undoubtedly maybe the safties masterpiece i think they have earned every single thing that happens in this movie and i don't think any bit of this movie falters not not at all the movie i'll read you the thing a charismatic new york city jeweler always on the lookout for the next big score makes a series of high stakes bets that could lead to the the windfall of a lifetime howard must perform a precariously high wire act balancing business family and encroaching adversaries on all sides in his relentless pursuit of the ultimate win. So basically, this guy Howard, he he he's a he's a he's a compulsive gambler, and he smuggles an opal out of Ethiopia. And he's Jewish, by the way, and he runs a a jewelry store right in the in the Diamond District. And Kevin Garnett, uh, he's trying to basically like. Make a sale to Kevin Garnett. And at the same time he's doing that, he's making a series of bets and deals with other people about other things that are directly tied into this opal and Kevin Garnett um, that ultimately land him in a... It's You're watching a movie where you're watching... This is like one of the best things about watching this movie. Um, is that it's like it's almost like what you would assume is a very accurate depiction of gambling addiction because it's compulsive and it defies any reasonable track a normal person who doesn't have this disease would go on. When you're watching Adam Sandler's character, Howard, kind of 
do what he does, essentially, which is compulsively make deals and higher and higher stakes, you kind of get the idea that maybe it's not the reward that he's in for. It's this, it's like the thrill of making the bet, right? And he keeps going and going and going. And he makes these decisions that you as a person, when you're watching it, it becomes increasingly uncomfortable and infuriating because you're like, please stop doing this. Please, can you just make a sound decision? But he's he's compelled to, and that's his problem. That's He's sick. He's a sick man. And Adam Sandler gives maybe the best performance of his entire career. I think maybe even better than his performance in Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love and better than his performance in Noah Baumbach's The Majorowitz Stories. I think... I am not a person who has respected Adam Sandler in the past. And this, when he does movies like this, my opinion of him changes drastically because I'm realizing that, oh, shoot, this is a very talented man, not only in comedy but in drama. And he gets to balance both in this movie really well. He's a very comedic figure at points, but there are points, there are dark points in this movie where he has to go to emotional lows that most actors wouldn't be able to reach, and he does it incredibly. But also, he's funny, and he's comedic in this movie in a way that I appreciate so, 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 so much. There's an amazing scene where they're having Passover, right? Because Jewish, right? So they're doing Passover dinner and they're reading about the plague. They're doing, he's reciting the thing with the plagues or whatever, and he goes, Death of the firstborn. That can still happen, by the way. And he looks at his sons, and it's hilarious. Or like there's this uh, scene where they're at a play for his daughter, and there's a family that they know sitting in front of them. And they ask him if they're going on vacation this year. He goes, no, we're skipping vacation this year. We're saving up for a bigger vacation next year. I think we're going to go to Europe, get these kids cultured. They're starting to become morons. And, like, the way he delivers it – I'm butchering these jokes, by the way. The way he delivers delivers it, I was just laughing out loud. However, in the same way that Good Time is, this movie shreds your senses to death. People are yelling at each other. The camera work is insanely energetic by way of Scorsese and others, right? But mostly Scorsese um, influence. You can tell uh, that the Safties are, right? The Safty brothers, they really do a really great job. And it's written incredibly intricately and in a way that you can... It's, it's at most... It's at, at, its, at its lowest... It's a really dope, just mo- thriller, gambler movie. But at its heights, it is a deep character study and commentary on like capitalism and stuff like that. And it's able to balance both of those things really well. And it feels like it never gives you a break. Also, what is this chick's name? Uh, um, there's, there's this girl, Julia Fox. Amazing performance. Oh, shoot, Palm Kleintiff was in this movie? I didn't even realize that. Julia Fox, great performance as, like, Howard's mistress, right? Adina Menzel is in this movie. Um, 
And the last act, of, okay, so a lot of the movie is tension building, right? There's a lot of tension building because there's never a release from what's going on. Like, for the, there's a whole storyline for like the first 45 minutes to an hour of the movie that you're like, oh my God, when will this end? And then it, and, and then all it does is it builds into a larger one that in the end of the movie, you were just like, I had, I, 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 like, my leg was shaking. I was, like, gripping the seats. And then the release that you get in this movie, I threw my hands over my head. I was just absolutely uh, astounded by how this movie went. And it goes, it ends in a way that once you think about it, you're like, that is the only ending that this movie could have had. That that character could have had. And it's awesome. The Safdie brothers... Uncut Gems is quite literally a masterpiece and the most underrated masterpiece of the year. The Sandman himself, at least, should have been nominated for Best Actor this year. Uh, Just absolutely amazing. I'm giving Uncut Gems a 10 out of 10. Definitely, 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 definitely worth the watch. And that is my underrated movies of the year uh, list. So... You know, I hope you guys enjoy that. Hope if you guys have seen any of those movies, uh, feel free to I don't know comment if you guys can comment anywhere that you're listening to this. Send us an email at a gooddeathfilms at gmail dot com. A G O O D D E A T H at gmail dot com. And oh oh F I L M S. I forgot about the films. Yeah, a good death films at gmail dot com. And, you know, tell me some of your underrated movies of the year. But, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you guys in the next round of things. I'm trying to formulate my top ten for the year. And I want to bring that to you guys next. Because uh, I didn't put this in any particular order. But I want to le- definitely let you guys know what my favorite movie of the year was. And then kind of do a and do like a list built around that. Or maybe... It's not necessarily ranked, but I'll let you know what my favorite is. You know what I mean? I'll let you know what my number one is, but two through ten might as well be two, any number, any shuffle, shuffle them anyway, right? But yeah. So I'll see you guys next time. Uh, Peace.